enter a nexus of science, violence, and nonsense, where fake news, pseudoscience, and weaponized stupidity meet full-contact fact-checking and peer-reviewed ass-kicking. And as always, no bullshit allowed. Recorded live at Bullshito Headquarters in Austin, Texas, this is the Art of Fighting BS Podcast. Man, you come right out of a comic book. Chocolate lines up planetarily with the sun. Chocolate is an octave of sun energy. Brain chips in the trips. They get the trips. Special vaccines that are really nanotech that already re-engineer their brains. What, what are you gonna do? Excuse me, sir. I don't want any trouble. Sure, on some planet, your style is quite impressive, but your weak link is this is Earth. Hey, well, I get to learn karate. Karate? The Dane Cook of martial arts? No. We do not need that many vaccines. What does the scouter say about his power level? It's over 9,000! We have a saying back home that if you're coming on, come on. Keep the yoga mat out of your mouth and on the floor. You know friends and family that eat yoga mat? Oh, in the parking lot. Now we're going to fucking hop on the phone. Get out of a body bag! Yeah! All right. <laughs> What's up, nerds? Hey, so we're dropping a really quick emergency episode of the podcast on the subject of the current impeachment process. Yeah. Because nobody knows what the fuck they're talking about um, on social media. So we wanted to kind of get this out there. Uh, we've got Derek Debus back again. He's uh, providing actual constitutional law knowledge to all the armchair experts and uh, fucking ding-dongs that are, that are sharing shit out there. So... Check it out, listen to it, educate your friends, make America less stupid. Thanks. Our, um, I don't know if you mind me calling you this, but uh, I like to use the term baby lawyer. Uh, he has recently uh, graduated and, and passed the bar. Is that true? I'm taking the bar next month. Taking uh, the bar next month. graduated from ASU Law. So the <clears throat> longtime bully, uh, three moves one. And uh, he has uh, something to say about impeachment. And so we're going to talk about that this evening because that is what is going on in the world right now. So take it away, Moosey. Cool. So um, impeachment, big subject. So let's start from the beginning. Um, in 1100, England was invaded by, oh, what the fuck was his name? Uh, Norman of Saxon, right? Yeah, that and sounds right. That, <clears throat> right. And when that happened, a whole bunch of shit happened eventually. That's stuff that affects today, stuff like property law, the way that we bring claims to court, all of these things all literally trace their way back to when Norman of Saxon invaded and, and took over England. <clears throat> so one of the things he did was he united England under a monarchy. A couple centuries later, the people of England didn't really like living under a monarchy, so they established the parliament. Um, the, they signed the Magna Carta. Obviously, this is kind of whitewashing this history a little bit, but we get to a point in about the 1300s where we have the monarch, the king. He appoints ministers to administer his government to carry out his policies, right? Um, we 
would call them Secretary of State, Secretary of, of Defense, um, the Prime Minister would be like our President. Um, and Parliament, through the Magna Carta, had a lot of interest in these, right? They had a, um, they needed a way to exercise control over them, right? Because if they if they can't, then there's no control over the, the, the monarch and everything that the English fought for and got in the Magna Carta would really mean anything, right? So you have to have a way to hold people in power accountable. That's that's common sense. Right, 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 right. <clears throat> and obviously back then, you know, laws were a little different than they were now, but it was pretty common for people to be impeached for things like bribery, for things like um, cowardice. Um, things like treason, those kind of no-brainer things where you're like, yeah, obviously you shouldn't betray the country if you have a position of trust and confidence. Well, you shouldn't do it anyway, but um, that's easy to understand. <clears throat> but what wasn't easy to understand was when people in power started to use that power in a way that benefited themselves. Right? It's not illegal to hire your own company if you're, let's say, like I'm the, the secretary of, of transportation. Right? And I also own a construction company. It's not illegal necessarily, or it's not, at least in the 1300s, it wouldn't have been illegal for me to hire that company. Right, not back then, though, but this is going into, you're going into emoluments, obviously, right now, right? A little bit, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, this is what started to happen, is that these, these ministers of the government would start to use their power in ways that solely benefited themselves but didn't independently constitute a crime. So what do you do in that situation? Well, you say that you've betrayed the trust and confidence of the office, and we invent this term called high crimes and misdemeanors. There's literally, it's literally a catch-all for any wrongdoing that's not actually a crime. Because there's lots of things that are wrong, and there's lots of things that are crimes, and the two don't necessarily overlap. And the standard of what's wrong and what's acceptable for what's wrong changes based on, are you a citizen? Are you in the government? Are you the head of the government? So high crimes and misdemeanors from its very inception all the way in the 1300s was always a way to hold the government accountable for abuses of power. But it, it, so like you said, and just to make sure that everyone you know kind of picks up on this, that um, the term high crimes and misdemeanors doesn't necessarily mean that a crime was committed. This is more of a uh, moral judgment uh, based on the citizenry at the time, correct? I think that's a fair way of putting it. Um, when, when the government, when the, the, the parliament would view something that did not comport with the way that that officer should have acted, a uh, naval officer um, who acted cowardly on the battlefield, well, we can't fire him as parliament in the 1300s. He works for the king. The only thing we can do is impeach him and remove him. But we can't say it's a crime to be a coward on the field of battle because people are cowardly, right? It's not necessarily a crime for someone conscripted into service to go and fight and then be afraid of dying in battle. That's probably pretty normal. But if okay. you're a Navy, naval admiral, you know, see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you said something that I think is uh, kind of important for people to understand. You said um, impeach him and remove him. And those are two very different parts of the entire process, right? Yes. Um, well, especially today, um, 
in the, the way that impeachment has uh, just evolved in this country, um, impeach and remove is, is two completely separate things. And that's, that's a, a function of our bicameralism, the fact that we have a House and a Senate and the different um, intentions the founders had for those various houses of, of legislature. But it, it was never supposed to be that hard to impeach somebody. I mean, think about it. how hard do you want it to be to fire an employee? Well, Should I mean, it really the, be that hard. The, the the level of hardness is, you know, uh, getting a simple majority out of four thirty five, right? Practically, yeah. But I mean, how hard should it be to get that four thirty five? If you're bad at your job, we should be able to fire you. And that's, in fact, that's what you kind of saw happening in the beginning. Um, you had, well, you had a, a senator who was impeached for treason, um, but then you had federal judges who were impeached for being lazy for being drunk all the time, for just having bad rulings. They were bad at their jobs, and the House of Representatives said, nah, we don't want you to do it anymore, and this is how we're going to hold you accountable. Okay, so how does that bring us to today? So it brings us to today directly because that's this is the heart of the president's defense, and it's the heart of every president's defense, honestly, is that what what's been alleged as impeachable conduct isn't a crime. I couldn't go to jail for it. So I can't be removed from office for it. And it's, it's not right. It's not correct. And the, the, to go a little bit deeper, right? The, the argument is that we've had way more judicial impeachments than we have, um, presidential impeachments, right? We've had three presidential impeachments. We've had 14, 15 judicial impeachments. I think the last one was in the 90s. A uh, federal judge was convicted of perjury, went to jail, refused to resign his, his seat, got impeached and removed. Kind of an interesting story. But so so they've said, okay, well, okay, you can impeach judges for doing a bad job because they're judges and they're different than the president. But when it's the president, it has to absolutely be a crime. What is that? Is that true? I, I, I don't feel that that's true. I think that... Um... High crimes and misdemeanors means that um, they have the room to impeach him for just stuff that they think is wrong. Yeah. So so the the reason that they reach to this argument that there has to be a crime because of the difference between judicial and presidential impeachments is because in the Constitution, there's a clause that says that um, judges shall hold their tenure for good behavior. And it's the, the um, yeah, they deserve to be be good, right? And they say that that's the standard and you can impeach them if they if they violate that. But for the president has to be a crime, but it doesn't make sense because you're setting a higher standard for a judge. That's in a different clause in the impeachment clause. The impeachment says you can impeach the officers of the United States for high crimes or treason, bribery, high crimes and misdemeanors. And then judges have a separate additional standard expected of them. Ah. There's nothing that says the president only holds his office while he, he actually is in good behavior. Nothing says that. It's an additional restriction on judges because they get lifetime appointments. It makes no sense. It's, it is specious and intentionally misleading to say that the good behavior clause sets a lower standard for impeachment other than raising the standard of conduct for judges. Well, that is very interesting. I had not, uh, I had not been aware of that particular part of the equation oh it's because it's like really deep in there it's super boring man nobody likes this stuff 
except nerds like me. <laughs> so, um, so I guess now that we have this, this framework for what impeachment was and what it is historically, I think let's talk about what's going on today. So should we start with the allegations or the defense? Well, so we have two allegations, right? One is, um, uh, shoot, I, I don't even remember this. Why don't you just take this for me? <laughs> All right, so the House of Representatives of the United States has impeached the president for abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. I want to talk about the second one real quick. And then we'll jump to the first one and all the facts and the Ukraine's. It's all fact intensive. And I think that there's a lot that people miss if they only get their news from one side or the other. You know what I mean? Right. So the um, the obstruction of Congress, that one I kind of find interesting because of the whole separation of powers. Right. One hundred percent. So Congress has oversight authority. Congress has um, subpoena power. The president enjoys limited executive privilege or executive privilege because someone's going to go into unlimited executive privilege which means that a president needs to be able to exercise the duties of his office and have conversations with his advisors in confidence now um trump would they did this thing on the daily show and like oh it's going to be really bad because foreign leaders are going to find out what they think about me like he hit it on the head in the dumbest words possible <laughs> because if you're talking with your secretary of state and you're like, oh, God, Vladimir Putin's a dick. Kim Jong-un is too short. Um, Justin Trudeau is too Canadian. <laughs> too, I mean, too you're just disparaging. <laughs> yeah, right. That gets out. That's going to damage foreign relations. Right. I, I mean, that's that's not a hard thing to see. But but it goes deeper than that, because there's sometimes very critical things that presidents are advised on, like the Osama bin Laden raid. Um, President Obama, um, and keep in mind, every president since executive privilege has been established and recognized in the 70s has invoked it in one way or the other to keep stuff from Congress. Every president. Um, president Obama had this program called Fast and the Furious where he would put trackers on a bunch of guns and then he'd give these guns to the Mexican cartels and they would track the guns and go arrest the cartels. However, it did not work out. Whoever could have guessed. And one of those rifles was used to kill a border patrol agent. Mm -hmm. uh, two, Congress two, I think, yeah. wasn't it? Uh, I just remember the. the I remember the, the one guy definitely died. Brian, and I think, Brian Terry, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, How sorry, sorry to derail, but you know, it's like as we're talking through these things, just to keep them interesting. You know, like this yeah. is stuff that has happened in our lifetime. Yeah. Um, Congress, I think, rightly sought to investigate that because why the fuck would you give tons and tons and tons and i'm of, of m16s m4s some barrett 50 cows why would you give this weaponry to the cartel what is the thought process behind this is going to be a good idea i think congress had a right to investigate and had a right to be like what the fuck president obama invoked executive privilege and kept attorney general holder and all of those documents from being released to congress so this is not just a trump thing and this is not something that is is frivolous right like every president does this any any time any place if you try to talk to anybody in their close circle any of their advisors or any of their cabinet members they're going to invoke executive privilege mm -hmm. that, that's what they do 
So the way that you get around executive privilege is you issue a subpoena. So Congress says, I'm Congress, I have oversight power. I want to know what is going on with you in Ukraine, Mr. President. I want to talk to X, Y, and Z. Here is a subpoena. The president says, or the official says, well, thank you. This is a great subpoena. However, due to executive privilege, I will respectfully decline. The House says, ah, I do not agree, sir. And they go to court. And the court says, yes, there is executive privilege here. Or no, there's not executive privilege here. That's the process. It's not quite as genteel as that, though it probably should be. That didn't happen here. All that happened was, well, Congress said, Mr. President, we think you did something wrong in Ukraine. We want all of these documents. We want to talk to all of these people. And President Trump said, nobody in the executive branch is going to talk to anybody in Congress. Don't listen to your subpoenas. Just ignore it. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Whatever. Bluffing. Like, uh, this is the thing where I, where I say, okay, he's a businessman. This is kind of like a business-like tactic to right. bluff. Like, this, 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 this is not unusual, right? Right. Congress said, oh. Oh, you don't want to cooperate? Great. Now you're obstructing. Well, wait a minute. What's what about executive privilege? Shouldn't some of the president's conversations with his national security advisor be privileged? What's the extent of that privilege? It's a very, very gray area. Nobody really knows until the court says. And the court's not going to say because that is just because nobody asked them. Right. Well, beyond nobody asked them. It would set a really bad precedent to um, have uh, a delineation for what executive privilege actually is, right? Oh, no. I mean, that's something that I think that's what the courts are there for. Since 1804, Marbury, Madison, the role of the judiciary is to say what the law is. But they can't just do that on it in and of themselves. They can't say, I'm going to take this case and I'm going to adjudicate it. There has to be standing and controversy or case has to ask their litigant that standing and it has to to be right and move basically someone has to go and fucking ask them well i standing i think is pretty much satisfied by the fact that he's the president and we're americans that want to know no sir no no sir see you do not have standing as a this is a great time to say none of this is legal advice and i'm not a lawyer (laughs) please seek out the uh, services of a licensed attorney in your area before engaging in any course of conduct. Now, um, you as a citizen generally do not have t- standing to allege general grievances at the government. You can't say, hey, government, I don't like the war in Afghanistan. Stop that. The court's well, going to say... What, so, hold on. So, uh, pause you right now. So, w- what happens with the First Amendment? Well, the First Amendment is gathers your right to free speech, but it doesn't say anything about your right to, and to go to the courts to bring meritless disputes. No, but to See, petition okay, so your so, government for redress of grievances or whatever the hell the words are, right? So let me let me back up. Standing is, and let me get the correct definition here. Rough, awkward silences. <laughs> Let me see if I can find Standing Frost and tomorrow. see if he wants to come in on this too. Yeah. While you're doing that. Um, my, my car law professor is very unhappy with me because I should be able to. I know, I should know this. We usually talk about this today. All right. So, um, so you need an injury in fact, causation, redressability um, in order to have standing to bring a lawsuit. So you, you saying, well, I want to know about 
what's going on in Ukraine. Well, that's not an injury in fact. You don't have a legally protected interest to know about the inner workings of the executive government. That's why you hire elected officials. That's why you elected them. That's your remedy. In order to have standing, Congress would have had to issue a subpoena, and that subpoena would have been defied on the grounds of executive privilege. Or I think actually the White House would have to go to court to quash the subpoena, asserting executive privilege as a defense. It's foreign procedural stuff. But you don't get there unless the House issues the subpoena. And they never did. They didn't subpoena Bolton. They didn't subpoena Mulvaney. They didn't subpoena Perry. They didn't subpoena, subpoena Robert Duffy. They didn't subpoena all the documents that they're asking the Senate to go and get. Okay. So, so the idea that 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 would be like so so uh, impeaching a president for obstructing Congress because he's asserting he's in good faith asserting executive privilege would be very similar to say that you're obstructing justice because you're asserting attorney-client privilege or you're obstructing justice because you are exercising your right to remain silent. Mm-hmm. So to me, the second is ridiculous. And yes, the way that President Trump has responded to these impeachment proceedings is unprecedented. Yes, he has asserted executive privilege in this impeachment proceeding way more than Nixon did, way more than Clinton did. Okay, this is why we have courts. This is what the courts are for, to look at these situations and say yes or no. But you have to ask the damn courts to do it, and the House didn't do it, and the president didn't do it. So that brings us to the first article of impeachment, which is the abuse of power. What the House is accusing the president of doing is leveraging foreign military aid approved by Congress and a, a White House appearance with the president of Ukraine on the announcement of an investigation into the Bidens. Uh, so this is so this is the meat of what the act is right. Yes, this is They're really that. what we're talking about. That the um, the obstruction is just you know an add-on charge. Yeah, I think every president's been impeached for obstruction. Every president that's been impeached has probably been impeached for obstruction of Congress. At least I think Clinton was, and I'm pretty sure Nixon was too, or was going to be rather. So what we're saying here is, hey, Mr. President, with your position and ability under the Constitution to um, affect foreign policy, that you're using that to gain using an advantage. That to gain, yeah, exactly. All right, so let's let's dive into that a little bit. Okay, so. This all kind of starts with a the prosecutor in Ukraine named Lysenko and Ambassador Yovanovitch. Um, Lysenko was widely known in the international community. Wait, wait, being, wait so let, let me stop you for a second. Um, let's. I think it would be a little bit better if we if we started from the thousand foot view and and worked our way down. So essentially, okay. what's going on? I think is that we have um, a situation where the president has gone and taken some action with respect to foreign policy that the Congress does not agree with. Would that be a fair statement? No, because that happens all the time. 
Um, what they're saying is that he leveraged, so minus one sentence summation is that the president abused the powers of his office by coercing a foreign power into announcing a baseless investigation into a political rival solely for personal gain. Well, that's very, very, very charged right there. So you said, and it's, it has a lot. You, of I mean, you use the word baseless within your one sentence description it's it's this, alleged right this is now again to be clear that is the case the democrats are presenting to the senate right now okay all right that that is my one sentence summation of their case okay that uh, that makes more sense all right okay so the president abuses power by coercing a foreign leader using official acts to announce a baseless investigation into a political opponent solely for political gain. And in so doing, jeopardize the national security interests. That part's kind of wishy-washy. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, we need to differentiate a couple of important points here. The the solely for gain part. Yeah, because exactly. These... Solely is where I like I jump to that. Like solely for political gain? Well, think about it. There is a ton of things that a president can do Foreign powers. Foreign, there's a ton of things a president can do with his with his authority that benefit him personally, but that aren't aren't illegal and aren't an abuse of power. If President Trump brought peace to Israel and Palestine tomorrow, that would be very good for him politically. Mm -hmm. Should we? That's not abusing the, his power though. So it, it's it's when you start to use the office in a way that benefits yourself only, and then the last part in a way that damages the United States. Because again, like there's a lot of official acts the president can take that only benefit him, like photo opportunities or meeting the the Super Bowl winners. Right? Like those don't benefit the United States. He's using his office just to meet some celebrities. Ah uh, wow. Well, uh, Super Bowl well, I don't know. If it's okay. if it's Kim the Kardashian, well it's not the Patriots again. So. Jay Z <laughs> like 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 all of these artists and celebrities Meet the president, and you can't tell me, you can't tell me that one little part of the president doesn't want to meet these people. You cannot tell me that President Obama was not stoked to meet Jay Z. You cannot <laughs> tell me President Trump was not stoked to meet Kim Kardashian. I mean, come on, anybody would be pretty excited to meet these people. And he's using the, they're using their office to do that, but it doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't hurt anything, and. Again, there's going to be people who say that there's different reasons and it actually helps, but get the fuck out of here. Like, you can't tell me that meeting with Kim Kardashian is the thing that initiated criminal justice reform. Nobody believes that except Kim Kardashian and Kanye. <laughs> so so it, it's that two-part thing where you're doing something only to benefit yourself and it hurts hurts everybody else while you're doing it. Or it doesn't help them? Like, is it like, what is the standard there? Like, well, so, so what the, again, the, the case that the house managers are presenting is that Russia is an enemy of the United States and by holding up foreign aid or just conditioning that foreign aid on something that you were only doing to benefit yourself limits the ability of the Ukrainians to defend themselves limits the ability of the Ukrainians to push back on Russia and, and decrease the stability in the region and injures the national security interests of the United States. That's the case that the, the, the house managers are making. Okay. 
And then the last part is the baseless election or the baseless investigation. And this part's kind of interesting because I've kind of changed my view on this. So people will, people know that likely that uh, Hunter Biden was involved in a company. It was under investigation. Um, there's a video of Joe Biden saying I held up aid to get the prosecutor fired. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's what president Trump alleges he was investigating. And the Democrats say that's baseless. Well, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's really the, the rub of what's going on. Yeah. So there's a, there's a couple things that the, that the Democrat or the house managers are pointing to, to infer the idea that president Trump didn't really want, didn't really care about the investigation. I uh, didn't really care about any of that, that he wasn't actually doing that. He was only doing it for himself. Um, so first they're saying that he's never once mentioned corruption, but he's only ever mentioned the Bidens when talking to Ukraine. Uh, the second is that he conditioned all of these acts on the announcement of an investigation. Simply saying, I'm going to, I'm going to investigate the Bidens was enough to get these acts. There would have been nothing preventing the president from saying, I'm doing this thing and then actually not doing it. Okay. The Democrat, the house manager is saying all the president wanted was him to say he was going to do it, which gives rise to an inference that all he wanted was the announcement. So he could blast it all over Twitter. Right. So if he used, if he invoked the name Biden, then this might be turned on its head. Right. So if he just said, Hey, I want you to go and investigate this stuff, it would have been okay. But if he said, I want you to go and investigate Biden, that's where things get a little bit sticky. You know, it's not, it's not quite, quite that cut and dry. Cause he says a lot of things like, go have a look at this stuff. A lot of people are worried about this. Um, look at what the Bidens were doing over with this. Like it's, it's, it's not necessarily the idea that, that he said, oh, it's, it's, you have to investigate the Bidens versus, hey, look at this corruption stuff. Um, but it was this idea that you need to announce the investigation. And just simply getting around it saying, oh, well, you know, you have to go have a look at this stuff. Like, it's the specificity with which he was referring to the Bidens that is impeachable, according to the, the house managers. Oh, I get it. So, I said, so, yes, you're right so yeah. if he said, hey, I'm not going to give you the money unless you say that you're going to investigate these people versus I'm not going to give you the money unless you investigate these people. So that is kind of the. Uh, well, so so there is a video of Joe Biden saying that he did exactly essentially what President Trump is accused of um, holding up foreign military aid until the Ukrainians do something. Right. I think we're um, all familiar with that. Video yeah. yeah. Um, but that wasn't impeachable because as the Democrats will have shown, he wasn't doing that for his own benefit. He was doing that pursuant to international and um, national security uh, agreements and, and cooperation. It was, it was an international effort to get this prosecutor, Lysenko, fired. Mm-hmm. And one part of that, which Congress knew about, Remember, at 2016, which party held the majority in the House of Representatives and the Senate? Uh, Democrats? No, Republicans. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Yeah, Wait, this, what year this am all I happened in? when Republicans were in the House. Hold all on. the stuff that, that Biden's accused of doing. Sorry. Because it, it all happened. <laughs> yeah. 
it all happened pursuant to foreign policy. He wasn't doing it for his own purposes. And at that point, um, Hunter Biden had already left and the investigation into the company he was a board member of had nothing to do with him personally. It was about a completely different section and a completely different board member of Ukrainian board members, a couple of which were Ukrainian oligarchs. So he was never really implicated in the investigation in the first place. And Biden wasn't pressuring him to get fired because he was doing the investigation. Whereas here, Trump is accused of pressuring them to take an action only for his own benefit. So that way he can take to Twitter and say, corrupt Joe Biden is under investigation in Ukraine. Oh, did, did Sleepy Joe hack the 2016 election? Um, that's, what he's tr- that's what the Democrats allege he was trying to get out of this arrangement with the president of Ukraine. Does All that right. make sense? So, yeah, yeah no, no, th- that does make sense. And uh, I'm sorry, my, my brain was fried because I was reading on another page. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So then the question becomes, like, h- how do you make a determination as to whether or not this is solely for the benefit of the president? Right. Because there's there's a lot of stuff to unpack here. And um you know, let's assume that Trump is completely wrong in this allegation. And, you know, let's let's assume that, you know, the, the Bidens are 100 percent above board and all of their dealings with the Ukraine and, and uh, this energy company in the past. Right. Well, let's let let's even look at it in a slightly, I guess. I, I kind of think of it this way. Do you really think it's impossible for Trump to see a 30-second clip of Biden saying, I did this in Ukraine, and without doing any further investigation, going balls to the fucking wall? Oh, absolutely not. Like, he would take that and mm-hmm. run with it like a fucking, like, like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, Super if, if there had been, uh, Super if, there, if anybody had looked into this, or if, you know, he had tasked an American intelligence agency with looking into this, he would have seen that it was a, absolutely nothing burger and it was a little more than a, a conspiracy theory so is that impeachable like let, let's assume for a second that that's that that's what it was and okay he wasn't well, doing so, it. so here here's the, the part of that so we have um the geopolitical situation in the ukraine as well right where this guy was not under investigation, but then he was under investigation, but then the presidency changed, and then he's not under investigation, but then he is under investigation. Like, like or... well, So here's here's where, where we got to kind of get into the weeds a little bit, though, where we show, where the Democrats have shown a little bit, that's a little bit more likely that Trump didn't actually care about the Bidens, probably knew it was baseless, and was only doing this for his benefit. Okay. So it starts with this prosecutor in the Ukraine called Lysenko. Uh, well, not call his name, his last name. Um, and he was under the previous administration. So, yeah, Lysenko is the old guy that uh, yep. Biden went and said, hey, get this done, right? Yes. All right. Now, the president that Lysenko served under was also highly corrupt, and the Ukrainians did not like him at all. And very recently, they voted him out in, in favor of an anti-corruption politician, President Zelensky. Mm-hmm. But that was that was in uh, I think 2018. I think when that happened. Don't quote me. Um, 2018 or 2019. It was um, uh, 2019. It was like uh, I want to say it was 
February or March when he got elected? Right. So before that, you had Lysenko. And at this point, you have Rudy Giuliani and this Lev Parnas guy going to the Ukraine and brokering these deals with Lysenko on what he needs to start this investigation into Burisma, the, com the company that uh, Hunter Biden was a um, executive on, um, and and the Bidens. Okay, um, hold, hold so, on, hold, hold on there, counselor. So, what what deals were brokered, and what evidence do we have of of any of that happening? So, Ambassador Yovanin, we're jumping around here. Um, in a way, Ambassador Yovanovitch was the former ambassador to the Ukraine. She was retained from the Obama administration. President Trump asked her to stay on and be the ambassador to the Ukraine. Um, typically, ambassadors at the end of a president's term are all asked for their resignation so the president can appoint new ones. Mm -hmm. Everybody liked Yovanovitch. She was a, a big force against corruption in the Ukraine. Yep. Okay. People like Lysenko and the former president of the Ukraine were really, really annoyed because they wanted to be corrupt and do all sorts of corruption, but they couldn't because Yovanovitch was like, hey, motherfuckers, stop it. So Rudy Giuliani it. and Lev Parnas work with Lysenko on getting Ambassador Yovanovitch recalled, getting her fired. Mm -hmm. And this happened. Then shortly after she got fired, the Ukrainian government turned over. So Lysenko was no longer the prosecutor. He couldn't announce an investigation into the Bidens, but Yovanovitch was gone. So they're like, fuck, what do we do? Well, when a, a, a new president is elected in, in this situation, the Ukraine, it was a very unstable, it was a very close election. Uh, actually, I think it was pretty much, it was a landslide, wasn't it? Uh, I, I think it uh, was, yeah, yeah, I think it was pretty, pretty hard. I, I don't, it was pretty contentious, um, and there is a lot of, of instability in the region with Russian aggression and the fact that they annexed Crimea like five years ago. Um, annexed, yeah. So, <laughs> so it, yeah, that's a nice right? word for it, right? And by, well, I'm saying a yeah. lot of nice things. Yeah. Uh, so 73, <laughs> 73 to twenty four. Yes. What does that mean? Oh, the vote. Yeah, the vote. Oh, I'm sorry, you can't see my screen because I did not share. So, um, so Zelensky won with uh, seventy three point two two percent of the popular vote. So landslide, like so, that. That's not even. It, it's yeah. not even a landslide. It was like a fucking murder. Yeah, but when you're when you're a new president, and Zelensky, I think, was a comedian before he was president. Yes. Um, you need to establish credibility, and the way that a lot of foreign leaders establish credibility is meeting with the president of the United States. The other thing is that Ukraine is, fighting a, is currently fighting a war against Russia. They're literally fighting them every single day. Um, and the military aid that we provide them accounts for 10% of their military budget. So that's significant. It's not, you know, it's not going to turn the tide maybe, but it's definitely a lot of money. A lot of money. So it's very important for President Zelensky to get this aid. It's very important for him to get a White House meeting. Then the president says, and again, most of this is not coming from the best witnesses, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second as well. Um, but then according to the, the, the House managers, the president says, you know, open it up, announce an investigation in the Bidens, 
and then you can come to the White House and then we'll we'll get this whole the military aid released. So I guess to me, the whole question becomes, well, is the investigation into the Biden's baseless and did the president know it? Because, you know, I, I, I don't on its face think that it'd be necessarily improper to investigate corruption in another country. I think it's wrong to have another country do it. I should probably be impeachable. Um, but it, if he had a good faith belief that he really was investigating corruption, well, how do we disprove that? Or how have the, how have the House managers disproved that? I'll tell you. So the first thing is that he's never once mentioned corruption. Um, he, never, he never mentioned that. He only says this thing with the Bidens, this Burisma thing. Mm-hmm. Two, the, the deal between Lysenko and Giuliani to get Ambassador Yovanovitch removed in order to get the investigation announced. Three, why the hell would you ask a foreign country that you think is corrupt to investigate corruption? When you have a perfectly good FBI and a perfectly good CIA and a perfectly good NSA and a perfectly good all these other three letter agencies, I'm forgetting. Uh, wow. <laughs> all right. Right. So, <laughs> there, there is a lot of. Um, uh, what's what's the fucking legal word? Um, uh, there's there's a lot of. Uh, um, uh, I cannot think what the hell is wrong with my mind. <clears throat> There's a lot of, um, uh, fuck, what's the word? Shit. Why is this live? I can't think of words. Um, you know, like in it's, it starts with an in. Anyway, so that's making a lot of assumptions, basically, right? right. So you're assuming exactly. you're you're assuming that the CIA is good. You're assuming that the FBI is good. You're assuming that any of the other intelligence services are good. You're assuming that the um the, the Ukrainian government was bad, and you're assuming that the new Ukrainian government is good, or vice versa which would better be clear, support the narrative. To be clear, this is what the house managers are assuming. Right. Okay. So I know you're saying that, So, but that's why we're having this discussion is to, to kind of like hash these issues out, right? Well, so there's, there's a couple people that would be able to tell us exactly what the hell was going on instead of these kind of second and third hand reports that we're hearing. But the issue is the House didn't subpoena them, so we can't hear from them. And they said that we didn't want to subpoena them because it's going to take months and months and months um, for it to play out in the courts, which is not really all that accurate because I'm pretty sure the courts would speed through the appeals. I think it would take like like two months maybe. All right. So these people that were not subpoenaed – so. You know, let's go out and play like devil's advocate or something here, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't mind. Yeah. Okay. So, we haven't gotten to the defense yet. <laughs> so the these people that were not subpoenaed, uh, why would they not be subpoenaed? 
because the president said he wouldn't allow them to testify. Well, that doesn't stop them from being subpoenaed. I I could not agree with you more. And that's 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 why I'm so damn frustrated with the way that this impeachment process has worked out. Because if it is true, if it is true that the president of the United States abused his power by coercing a foreign government into announcing a baseless investigation into a political opponent solely for his own benefit in a way that injured the, the national security interests of the United States, there is nothing else that's impeachable if that's not. No, that's open and shut, right? It is so vital to get this right. And they didn't because they didn't subpoena them. They didn't lock down their testimony. They didn't require it. They said, well, we don't want to waste the time. Well, I'm sorry. This is bigger than, oh, we want to get this over with before Christmas. Well, and that is exactly what they said back in July or whatever, August, whatever the hell this was going down. They're like, oh yeah, this will be done by Christmas. Yeah. September. If they had just issued subpoenas in September, we'd have them ruled on by now probably by the Supreme Court, um, then we'd get two weeks of depositions, maybe, a week to get formalized the, the impeachment, get an impeach, and we'd probably be starting the fucking Senate trial in like three weeks with all of our ducks in a row. All right, so let's get to the defense, and then uh, let's go into the conspiracy well, shit a little bit more. <laughs> Well, let's talk more about, well, real quick, before we do that, um, the witness and the Senate, right? If the House didn't call the witnesses, well, why isn't the Senate doing it? Well, there's there's a reason why. Um, and it's another reason why it was so inexcusable for the House not to do it. Once the Senate starts an impeachment trial, it it cannot conduct any other business until it's over with. Oh, that is that is interesting. I was not aware of that. There is not a single thing happening in the Senate right now, nor will they be until the Senate votes on acquittal or conviction. Hmm. Now, all of that time that the House didn't want to waste in getting this impeachment is now going to have to be spent in courts, in the Senate, with the Senate frozen, doing absolutely nothing for months. And, 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 there's only two explanations, right? One, uh, the the house was too stupid to realize that was going to happen, or two, they knew it was going to happen and did it anyway because they thought it would be really helpful in the election. And I, neither one of them are excusable because they cannot be this incompetent, and they cannot be doing something with this gravity solely for the political fucking points. Right. So there's definitely there's not, a, there's not a chance in hell that the Senate is going to say, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll pretty much do nothing for the next two months because President Trump's going to invoke executive privilege. It's what presidents do. So you're you're kind of implying that this is engineered to fail. Am I, uh, I, I don't in that? I don't want to say that, right? Because I, I don't like assuming malice where ignorance will do, but. Those are the only two explanations I can see. Either they're so incompetent, they didn't realize this was going to happen, or they intended it to happen. And it's it's got to be one of those two. Okay. Well, so I don't mind saying it, that these are career politicians that are lawyers that have all passed the bar that know what the hell they're doing for dozens and dozens of years. 
and they have uh, concocted this scenario. So, uh, I just I just don't understand why because the house can continue the house continues working while its committees are investigating everything like that's one of their jobs they do it the house gets on the government continues it i don't see why the house didn't and to me getting it over with quickly and oh we have overwhelming evidence i don't think there is they haven't disproven to me that donald trump didn't see that video and say holy shit ukraine's corrupt the bidens are over there fucking shit up i need to get on the phone and fix this right now i'm a business person i do shady deals all the time let me do shady deals to fix this and that that possibility of that asinine stupid ridiculous but good faith belief is entirely plausible and it's terrifying that we have a president who could be plausibly that fucking stupid but it was the democrats job to disprove that and shove that fact down our faces they could have gotten john bolton to say yeah he told me i don't fucking care about the bolton the biden's I don't care about Ukraine. I just want dirt on my future opponent. How great would that have been? That is something that legitimately might exist. Or it might also say, no, he literally just saw a video, freaked out, and then we, we couldn't distract him with all the Fox News and Big Macs in the world. I'm not sure. Oh. Which, I'm not sure which is worse. <laughs> I'm not sure which is worse. Both are equally plausible. But they didn't do the job. Can you imagine? Imagine if you were the victim of a crime. And you go to the, you go to the trial of the person who criminal or who victimized you, and you realize that the prosecutor didn't didn't interview key witnesses. They didn't review the evidence. They didn't look at anything. They just showed up and were like, "Yeah, he's guilty." <laughs> you'd be you'd be you'd be traumatized. You have to put in the work. You have to close. You have to look at all the possibilities and shut them down one by one by one. And the, Dem the House managers didn't do that. And it is so infuriating because if everything they say is true, then there's absolutely no reason why he should not be removed. Well, this is, uh, I, I think, a part of why I consider this the implosion of the Democrat Party because I think they have rushed into this without doing the proper due diligence without having all of their bullets, you know, lined up. And, um, I, like, I think, like the, the house, the house, and, 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 and they're going Democrats. up against, uh, they're going up against, you know, the Senate, which is almost certainly going to vote to acquit. So like, why, why would you not do the work? I don't understand it. It, 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 like it, this makes my head hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not even, even talking about what the standard should be for removal. Should it be a preponderance of the evidence? Should it be clear and convincing evidence? Should it really be beyond a reasonable doubt? Well, so you're uh, like, you're getting deep into stuff that we haven't even talked about yet, which is, you know, what, what the Senate proceedings are actually. Oh. So here's, I see this on Twitter all the time. Um, the first thing I want to get out about a Senate trial is that the manner and mode in which it's conducted is entirely unreviewable by the courts. So the but, but, impeachment... But, 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 but uh, Roberts' 
is sitting crown king on this thing, right? Yeah, um, because in a, in a typical impeachment, right, if the secretary of state gets impeached or when judges get impeached, mm-hmm. um, when someone gets impeached, the president of the Senate, as it always is, is vice president. If the vice president isn't president of the Senate, then it's the president pro tem. President pro like tem, this, yeah. Who's like this this 8,400-year-old man who's been around since the dawn of time. Um, I don't know how some of these people are still alive. It is insane to me. Um, I want to know what they're doing. I think it's all the free health care. Um, well, they, so, they don't have Obamacare. Yeah. Well, so so if you need 100 senators to be a jury, then one of them can't be the judge. The president pro tempore of the Senate is a senator. And if you are impeaching the, someone's boss, it's kind of a conflict of interest to have them be the one who's deciding issues in the trial right. as the judge. So that's why Pence can't do it. So. so that's why we have the Chief Justice of the United States. But, but going back to the non-reviewability, um, in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a federal judge named something something Nixon. Um, and this is a case that's really confusing for law students because there's U.S. v. Nixon which is a case about executive privilege with President Nixon. And then there's Nixon v. U.S., which is about uh, the political question doctrine and the reviewability of impeachment proceedings. And they're in the same textbook in pretty much the same area. And they're really easy to mix up. And it's super funny um, when a professor cold calls for someone to talk about one case and talk about the other and everyone looks confused. (laughs) Um, So Nixon v. U.S. Nixon was a federal judge. Right. Federal judges enjoy lifetime um, tenure on their bench as long as they exercise good behavior and they're not impeached. But he committed perjury. So he was sentenced to jail. And then he went to jail, but he didn't give up his seat on the bench. And the House of Representatives was like, holy shit, we can't have a federal judge in the jail getting a federal judge's salary. Doesn't make sense. And you got to shift the courtroom to the jail. I just, it's, it's a nightmare. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> We gotta, we, <laughs> so I'm not familiar with this case. We gotta back this up a minute. So we got a <laughs> we got a federal judge who was convicted of perjury, sent to prison, sent to prison, and did not resign his office. Did not resign his office. So his or bench was empty. His bench was empty, but he was still getting his salary because was he yeah, able he was, to still hear cases? No, no, I'm, I, I was making all that up. I was being facetious. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. No, like he, he was a prisoner like everyone else. It's just he was getting paid like a federal judge. And there's no way to fire him but impeachment. Okay. So the way that the Senate typically handles judicial impeachments um, is they have a committee to hear all the evidence. The committee makes a recommendation and then the Senate votes. That's obviously quite a bit different than what's happening now, right? Right. So, so we had what, we had uh, well, well, yeah, yeah. So the Senate has had nothing to do with this up until like last week, basically. Yeah. So so when Nixon was when the judge when Judge Nixon was impeached, the House impeached him, transmitted the articles to the Senate. The Senate established a committee to hear the evidence. They looked at the evidence, made a recommendation, and and removed him from the bench. Um, they don't do that in presidential impeachments. In presidential impeachments, all 100 senators have to be present. Everything has to stop when it's going on, and everyone's got to listen to the evidence. There's arguments on the floor. Um, and the, and Judge Nixon said, well, wait a minute. I didn't get a trial 
it was literally just a committee of senators who heard the evidence gathered by the House and made a decision. The Constitution says, I'm entitled to a trial. I would actually like a trial in the Senate, even though he was convicted and in prison. Kind of a piece of shit. So let me so, ask your personal opinion on that. Uh, mm-hmm. Not as a lawyer, just as a personal person, right? So do you think that that violates equal protection clause, right? A little bit, maybe? I don't know. Just the the way that you're saying it, it's like, okay, well, if you're a president, you have to have 100 people to convict you. But, uh, you know, if you're a judge, you know, 10 is good, whatever. Well, all 100 senators are still voting. It's just that all 100 senators aren't hearing the evidence. And I don't know that you have a, a due process right to have the same process as somebody else. Um, for example, like if you're charged with misdemeanor assault, you're going to be tried in front of a judge. You don't get a jury. Um, however, if you're charged with aggravated assault, you're tried in front of a jury. So like, like we can have different procedures for different people and that doesn't raise necessarily due process issues. Okay. So that's like Um, misdemeanor versus felony. In a way. Yeah. But that's, I guess that's actually kind of a helpful distinction, um, or a way to look at it. So, but like if, um, <laughs> this is something that our elected officials are doing. Like, if if they're doing something wrong, I don't know. And, and so maybe this is you know, like my own sort of um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, I have no words. Um, so but like it, like if you have a judge that's doing this, so it's like a higher standard, right? But why a, why is there a higher standard? There there shouldn't be a higher standard. There there should be the same standard for everyone. Well, all judges if all judges are treated the same and all presidents are treated the same, that doesn't mean that all judges need to be treated the same as all presidents. Um just like just like so misdemeanors. Well, but, but right? you're um, making a distinction there. You're saying, okay, well, you know, that this higher level of society, well, we don't need to re- regard them as much. So this this is this is only referring to to impeachment trials in the Senate. So you'd have to be a, a uh, officer of the United States in order to to be there. Um, but the 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 court can't even look at the equal protection thing, um, even if there was one there. And there's there's not because of really really nuanced and technical legal reasons because of a bunch of cases out of the late 1800s. It's complicated. That's that part. Um, (laughs) I'll I'll take your word for it. (laughs) So um, with, with judge Nixon, right? He said, well, I wanted a trial, a trial, you know, you call witnesses and you present evidence and, and, and I want that. And the house was, or in the court said, well, we can't even, we can't decide whether or not that's what you're, you're entitled to. This is a political question because of the textual commitment of the power to try impeachments is reserved solely to the Senate. It's unreviewable. It would be like if the court or if the Senate tried to overrule a Supreme Court decision with statute. And I mean, directly, not like through changing the legislation. If like the Supreme Court said, you know, the sun was black or the sun was blue and and Congress passed legislation saying, no, nope, Supreme Court's wrong. They, they can't do that. It's a separation of powers issue. So 
the court can't look at the way that an impeachment trial is conducted because it doesn't have the authority to. So everything that happens in this trial in terms of like the procedure and the way that it's conducted is really unreviewable by the courts because of a separate because of separation of powers. There needs to be separation between the judiciary and the legislature. Right. So Roberts is just there to be an arbiter and not really to say this is the law, this is not the law. Well, that's that is where I wonder. I, that's that's a good question, right? So some people are saying that the 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 Senate should call witnesses because Chief Justice Roberts, as the presiding officer, can rule on the admissibility or viability of executive privilege, and that would be a non-reviewable political question. I don't think so, though. I think that that would be reviewable by the courts. Um, because it's not the, that's the, the the House doesn't have it or the Senate doesn't have a textual commission or, or uh, uh, there's no textual commission of the right to decide whether executive privilege applies to the Senate. Chief Justice Roberts isn't doing that as a member of the Senate. He's making a conclusion of law about what executive privilege is, and that absolutely would be reviewable because, as the court said in Marbury v. Madison in 1804. It's the role of the judiciary to say what the law is. So, again, brings us back to how inexcusable it was for the House not to get this evidence. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry for the dead air. I'm trying to collect <laughs> my thoughts here. Um, uh, yeah. Um, all right. So we have discussed the allegation. We have discussed the proceedings as they have happened so far so let's go into like how how would you improve this process for you know quote unquote the next time okay um yeah let's skip over the defenses because the the, the president's defense is um there's not enough there's no crime so no impeachment um there's a different standard for judicial um, impeachments than presidential impeachments. Uh, there's no crime alleged. Um, the evidence doesn't support the narrative. Um, so it, it's it's your run of the mill. Like the Democrats haven't proven their case. That's that's the defense mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, but what can we do in the future? Well, the so this um, in the Constitution, the Supreme Court has what's called original jurisdiction. So. What original jurisdiction is, is the ability of a court to hear the case at the onset. So you, you don't file a case in the court of appeals. You have to go to a trial court first, win, lose, something or other, appeal, and then get into the appellate court. Typically, the Supreme Court, that's the only way you get there, is you get there through appeals, and they have discretionary um, authority to pretty much approve or deny, hear whatever cases they want. Um, where they act as a court of appeals, but when they act as a court of original jurisdiction or more or less like a trial court is suits between the states. So if New York sues Pennsylvania, that can get filed directly into the, the Supreme Court, um, you know, in cases involving, you know, public officials, things like that, they can have original jurisdiction by statute. They've kind of delegated that long story short. What I would do is I would seek a constitutional amendment to give the Supreme Court original jurisdiction in any case 
involving the assertion of executive privilege in connection with impeachment proceedings. So that way we, we, we don't even have to deal with this weeks and months through the courts. We want to impeach somebody and they're asserting executive privilege to keep us from getting that information. We should be able to go right to the Supreme Court, who's going to have the final say anyway, and just make the case there. Hmm. Okay. I, I have to think about that, actually. I mean, think like it wouldn't change literally anything for anybody day to day until the next time we want to impeach somebody. And then we can just get those subpoenas litigated in like a month, maybe, maybe six weeks. Because there's a question about whether or not one, whether executive privilege should apply in impeachment proceedings. And two, to the extent that how much like Executive privilege is complicated. There hasn't been that many cases about it. So we need to get these questions answered, but there's no way to answer them because the House didn't, didn't force the issue. Fucking job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so, when this all started, when these allegations came out, and I looked at the evidence, I said, fuck, they need to prove this, and then they need to impeach and remove him. Because I, I think more likely than not, and I think almost everybody thinks more likely than not what the Democrats are saying is true. And maybe that's just because of how President Trump is. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that he did not care about the Ukraine or Ukrainian corruption. I'm pretty sure he only wanted to get something for his own benefit. Well, that that uh, so that's the only sticking point for me is that I I 100% believe that everything that they said is true, except for the part where it's only for his own personal benefit. And that's the part that I like, that's the part that they got to prove. Right. I think it's, I think it's more likely than not for his own benefit, but there's not a single reasonable person who thinks more likely than not should be the standard for removing the president of the United States. Cause everything is more likely than not. If you, if you really, really think about it for the most part, well, so, I mean, that gets us into the political section <laughs> of this podcast is that, um, you know, th there are people that are like, uh, you know, like, you know, like Trump, he should just be gone. He should never been there in the first place. And so how do you set a reasonable level where um, you can say, all right, well, yeah, that was for his gain 100% or it was for his gain 90% or it was for his gain 10%, you know, to be able to make those kind of decisions in, um, you know, like in a fair manner so that when the next Democrat uh, president steps up and does the yeah. same fucking shit, you, you have a, a guideline, right? That's a great question. Um, the way I think about it, what I like to explain it to people, think of... Let's talk, let's talk about like employment law for a second. And this is also a great time to say, I'm not a lawyer, this is not legal advice, always seek the advice of a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction before engaging in any course of conduct. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't even have that written out. That's just that's just what's happening. You're to me. just that good. <laughs> no, I'm just that brainwashed. <laughs> um Oh, employment law. So if you're a woman, right? And your boss says, hey, I'd really like you to sleep with me. And you say, well, no, thank you. You're gross and my boss, and I don't want to do that. And then the next day you get fired. And let's say it, you got fired because you were five minutes late. 
even though that was the first time you've ever been late in your entire career and everybody else in your office is routinely 10 to 15 minutes late and nobody gives a fuck. All right. So, yeah. So, so I, I, I so, see, I kind of see where you're going with this, but uh, please continue. So how do you prove that the boss fired you because you would, wouldn't have sex with him rather than because you were five minutes late? Well, so th this goes into a, a little bit of the hearsay stuff, which I actually read a lot about recently. Um, and uh, hearsay is not what people think that it is. <laughs> yeah. But this is uh, yeah. this is really, a, this isn't hearsay. This is he said versus she said. And, yeah. and so there should be a, a, a distinguishing... Yeah, so how do you how do you prove how do you pick it up because like you look at that situation and you're like well it's really really weird that she got fired for being five minutes late and nobody else has ever gotten in trouble even though they're always late and it's really really weird that she only got fired the day after she refused to have sex with you i'm going to infer that you fired her because she wouldn't have sex with you and now you have to disprove that okay so how um, you know, like if I was the, um, uh, the attorney on the other side, you know, some of the things that I would look at would be like, okay, well, were there other mitigating circumstances? Like, are like, is she a new employee? Are we in a, you know, economic downturn where I'm having to downsize, right? Yeah. How was her work performance? Like, like all of these things. Because we're never going to be able to look inside the boss's brain where he says, oh, she wouldn't have sex with me. Now I got to fire her. We're never going to get that. And you're never, ever going to get somebody. You're not even going to get somebody saying, yeah, he said that. Because if I'm suing the boss for sex discrimination, I can put someone on the stand to tell to tell the court what the boss said because he's an opposing party. That's not hearsay. Yeah, but that that's not Trump. Trump will right, right. fucking say it. <laughs> fucking yeah. tweet it at like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but that's that's how the law proves subjective intent is through circumstantial evidence. It requires an inference. And sometimes it requires a lot of evidence. Like if let, let's beef up our hypothetical. Let's say she was a top performer. She had been there since the beginning. She had stellar reviews. She had just gotten a raise. She was late because her car broke down and she called to let you know, you know, all of these facts don't establish conclusively 100% in your, in, you know, that we know that the boss did this for, you know, an improper purpose, but with all of these things stacked up, it's really, really easy to infer that you didn't really fire her because she was five minutes late because you don't give a fuck when anybody else is five minutes late and she has never had an issue and it didn't cause any work problems or anything like that. Yeah. So, so it requires a mountain of evidence. You just have to go get the fucking mountain. Right. They, they, and, and they didn't. They don't have it. That's. Yeah. So that's what and, you and said. And so. I, I did not vote for President Trump in 2016, and I'm not going to vote for him in 2020. I'm, I am a Republican, but I'm, I'm not. I don't know what Trump is, and he's not a Republican. He doesn't represent the, my Republican Party. Um, I've never been a fan of his, but I, I think that consistency and and principle is more important than well i really really think he's a despicable person 
And you, you got to do the job right because it's too serious. If he did this before, he's going to do it again. And he's going to do it even more in his next term because he's not going to have any accountability. So you have to do it fucking right. And that's what pisses me off so much about this impeachment proceeding, even more than hearing incessantly about which senators are drinking water versus milk. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think they definitely screwed the pooch on this one. Um, and I'm not a fan of Trump. Um, I'm, no, I, I'm, I'm, I, not I think, even, I'm not even a Republican. So, yeah, I just the evidence isn't there, unfortunately, because I, I, I don't even think. At the, like, it just—it's too much inference, and there's not enough for me to jump off of. And I'm, I, like I said, I'm pretty sure, but that that what they're saying is true. And I'm pretty sure he didn't give a fuck about corruption. I'm pretty sure he just wanted to injure the Bidens. But I, it, the evidence isn't there. My gut feeling isn't evidence. No, he he totally fucking outsmarted the whole process. And um, yeah. I mean, in a really perverse kind of way, that's kind of commendable, I guess, maybe? I don't know, man. It's Like, if it's not against the rules, and it's not against those rules, and it's not against these rules, and you do it, and, it's just, he and just things work out I... okay, uh, even yeah. if they work out okay mostly for you, as long <laughs> as it's not solely for you, then... Uh, yeah. Like, yeah if president obama had said nope not doing it um house republicans would have sued him even more than they already did but i, I don't know what it is like when democrats had the majority when president obama was first elected they they passed through the affordable care act that's all they could get i mean what <laughs> they're not good at legislating that's all they can unfortunately it's like 1400 pages but it's not good it I mean, come on. It's it's not good. No, I didn't say it was good. You said that was all they could get. It was like more law that's been passed in the last like two decades. Yeah, but if it was if it accomplished its purpose of, of comprehensive health care for everyone in the nation, it was an utter failure and they couldn't do better. That that was the only version of it that they could get to pass because they just I don't know what it is. It's frustrating. I wish that we had a better counter to the Republican Party, even though I am a Republican. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah they're, they're, <sighs> we're going into philosophy now. Um. <laughs> I just, I just, it's inexcusable not to go and get the witnesses and the documents that you needed. There's, there's no excuse for it. And by doing so, you just you just play into this hand like you try and you fail. And, yeah, everyone knew it was going to happen. But, you know, you, you got to put together the record. Well, yeah. it looks like you're just doing it for political points. So I've been hoping, hoping and hoping and hoping for the Democrats to impeach Trump because I knew this is how it was going to play out. Like I knew that they're just like so balls to the wall that they're not doing their due diligence and it's going to blow them up. And, yeah. you know, so, and, you know, I'm not, um, aligned with, <laughs> with Democrats. And so to see them just explode themselves 
um, has been a, a tremendous happy place for me, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but by the same token, and uh, like I understand exactly what you're saying, is that, you know, like, what what the fuck? Like, you guys are supposed to be out there, like, defending us and protecting us and, and making sure that shit happens right. And they didn't. And so it's a complete failure on multiple fronts. Yeah. I was I, I was kind of looking forward to impeachment since the inauguration just because I'm a stuffy academic type and I thought from like a legal standpoint it'd be really interesting. But if you don't go to the courts, then there's nothing interesting legally that's going to happen. So thanks, Democrats. Mm. It's like the only impeachment I'm ever going to see in my life. Well, you saw you saw Clinton. I was like nine. Yeah, fucking Zoomer. All right. And, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, so we talked about the, the House's case, um, impeachment in general. We talked about a lot, actually. Yeah, we've been all over the map here. Holy shit! So we started with impeachment, judicial impeachments versus presidential impeachments. So, do we want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, historical impeachments? Oh, because that seems to be a subject, right? So, you know, there's uh, Clinton, Nixon, and uh, was it Jackson? Oh, uh, gosh, Jack Jackson or Johnson? It's the one that, Lincoln's vice president. I always remember. I was getting mixed up. I think it was. I think it was Johnson. Oh, I'm gonna look it up. Because why not? Okay. Johnson? Uh, it's Jackson or Johnson? I, nah. Hold on. I'm looking. Fucking Andrew Wikipedia Johnson. sucks. Yep, Andrew Johnson. Johnson. All right. There it is. Yeah. So, oh, that was a fucking... I'm going to get the facts a little mixed up on that. So, uh so Johnson was Johnson. Uh, his particular case was, I believe, one hundred percent political. Like it had no basis in law. This was all about. If I understand the way that this worked out, and I could be wrong, history has been very kind to Johnson. But my understanding of his impeachment was that it was one hundred percent politically based. Uh, and and in that respect is actually very similar to what some perceive is going on with Trump right now. So we need a little bit of context for the Johnson impeachment because history has been very kind to Andrew Johnson in some ways. Um, right after the Civil War and right after Lincoln was assassinated, um, Andrew Johnson was of the opinion that um, fuck the South. Um, fuck them and fuck them. We're going to establish military governorships and fuck the South. Not necessarily the most, not necessarily an undefensible position because at that point, you know, the South had literally rebelled against the United States for the ability to own people as property. Um, but also kind of fucked up because he was really doing it because the South was desegregating. Um, or beginning to, to desegregate. Um, Johnson did not like black people. Suffice it to say. Mm. Um, 
the Secretary of War at that time was a guy whose name I can't remember. Uh, starts with a G. Actually, I got on Wikipedia right here. Gordon, um, Gordon Reed? What's that? Oh, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm like, I'm just shitting out stuff that I'm reading on the wiki at the same time. Let's see. Reconstruction. Reconstruction. Scroll to Wikipedia. Republican. Just get to the impeachment. Ooh, Charles Sumner. That's a name. Thaddeus Steve. Edwin Stanton. Okay. So, Secretary of War was Edwin Stanton who was really, really liked by everyone in Congress and was really keen on enforce or in, in, in integrating and reconstructing the South in ways that Congress had liked. That way of reconstructing the South was very different from the way that Johnson wanted the South to be reconstructed. This was right around the time like the 13th and 14th Amendments being passed and you really didn't like black people and a lot of policies were being made to start reintegrating black people. Um, so Johnson fired secretary of war, Edwin Stanton and put Ulysses Grant in there, um, who would also go on to be president and was a big deal Kyle in the civil war. Um, Congress was like, fuck, no, that's not good. We don't want to, we don't want that. So they passed a law restricting the president's ability to fire his cabinet members and forced him to, to reinstate Stanton. So he did, and then he promptly fired him and reinstalled Grant, and then Congress impeached him for violating that act, the Tenure in Office Act, uh, what they called it. Uh, wow, that's that's super super fucked political. Up. That's super fucked up. Yeah. Also, an uncon- also the Tenure in Office Act would be unconstitutional um, because it violates the separation of powers principle by constraining the executive's um, ability to to remove officers of the United States. Yeah, very weird. Anyway. Basically, like the, the president can fire any of his cabinet members anytime he wants for whatever reason, and Congress can't get in the, in the way. Well, that's executive privilege defined, right? Well, no, executive privilege is the ability to withhold information um, from a proceeding. Um, that is executive discretion, or I guess you call it a privilege of being the commander-in-chief or... It's just one of those things that's solely vested with his in, in his authority in Article Three of the Constitution. It's one of the executive privileges which have not been enumerated. That's not the way that traditionally legal people would use the term executive privilege, but I don't. I see where you're going with it, and I approve. Like <laughs> of the many privileges of offices of his office, one of them is to tell Congress to go shove it. The other is to hire and fire. His officers with very little overview and discretion. Right. Um, so I mean, Johnson like the speech. overview and discretion is is clearly laid out in the Constitution. Advice. Almost and nothing is clearly laid out in the Constitution, but yes, <laughs> advice, advice and, and consent, consent of the Senate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Where were you going? Um, yeah. So that's that's why Johnson was impeached, and then after that, we didn't really deal with the issue again until Nixon. And then Nixon just kind of like eh, buggered off. Yeah, there was a, a break in at a hotel, and Nixon used the powers of his office to obstruct the investigation into the source of that break in. Um, tapes. So that's that's where we get our executive privilege. Um, 
case from is Nixon had these tapes of these conversations that were very incriminating in his office and Congress learned about them. And actually it was a special prosecutor, but um, an investigator learned about it and was like, Hey, I'd really like to hear those tapes. And then they went to the court and the court said, yeah, you have to give those tapes. This is not subject to the executive privilege. Um, and they had to turn over the tapes. The plumbers. And that, that's, I was trying to think of the name. It the was plumbers. The plumbers. Uh, so the White House plumbers, uh, also known as the Room 16 Project, uh, was a special investigations unit, covert White House special investigations, established within a week of the publication of the Pentagon Papers in June 1971 during the presidency of Richard Nixon. Its task was to stop and or respond to the leaking of classified information such as the Pentagon Papers to the news media. The work of the unit tapered off until the bungled Ellsberg break-in, but some of its operatives branched into illegal activities while still employed at the White House with the managers of the committee to re-elect the president, including the Watergate break-in and the ensuing scandal. Yep, and that's where we get like the famous quote, what did the president know and when did he know it? In terms of what did he know about all the criminal activity that was occurring and when did he know about it? And when did he start taking these steps to obstruct the investigation? But Nixon resigned before the House actually voted on, I believe it was either before they voted or before they transmitted. Um, so he was never technically impeached? Right, I, I don't think he was ever technically impeached. I think he resigned prior to that happening yeah and then uh fuck what's going on like he lied about the i don't know i just know like that was taken way more seriously than this and as far as i remember being nine years old uh, at the time he was impeached because he lied about well okay he was impeached because he lied which is bad he lied about a blowjob which i could honestly care less about in the grand scheme of things um so this is what I was kind of talking about earlier is about, you know, like, you know, like there's um, a level of um, seriousness in the law, depending on who you are. And so that in and of itself is kind of uh, equal protections problem. Right. So if we're going to hold the president to a higher standard than we would hold you know, just Joe Blow off the streets, is that not a violation? Oh, so, hold on one second, let me go grab a book real quick. I will explain why equal protection does not mean equal protection. As weird as that sounds. That's not what I'm looking for. Do, 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 do. Oh, wait, that was what I was looking for. Oh, my dog, I'm going to feed him. Wait, wait. You're fat. You don't need to eat right now. <laughs> All right, opening up this big stuffy law book. Relations among the states. 14, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. 
Equal protection, page 47. Oh, there we are. So, when you're dealing with equal protection, what that deals with is that people need to be generally treated fairly. So, if the government is in it, it, it all revolves around general, and again, not a lawyer, not legal advice, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> it revolves around the the way that the government is classifying you, right? So if the government is making classifications based on race, that's different than if they make classifications based on wealth. And they're different, they're subject to different standards of review. So if the federal government passes a law that says um, black people can only go to this school, well, that is a government action that's creating a class of people the class is based on race, so we would apply strict scrutiny, which means that there has to be a very compelling government interest, and this has to be the least restrictive means. Now, if the class is based on something else, like let's say, let's say you are adopted and your brother is the natural parent of your parents, right? Right, equal protection is complicated. No, 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 no. But like the words you used were kind of incestuous. All right, so let's say let's say your mom and dad bang, and they make your brother, and they say we don't want to do that anymore. We're going to go out and adopt you, right? The the one that they made is what we would call a quote natural children or child, and you would be adopted, or it could be something. Yeah. It, it, so or, then you've established a class where there is a natural born child versus an adopted child. Is that where you're going? Or a marital child versus a non-marital child. Okay. So your dad has you in wedlock and then he has your brother during an affair. The law in some states used to treat you guys differently in regards to how you would inherit from dad. So you, as the marital child, would be getting way, way, way more, sometimes all of it, and the non-marital child, the one born out of wedlock, would be high and dry. That is a classification based on parentage, which results in a different level of scrutiny to that government action. So the first one, where we're, when we're saying, when the government says all black people have to go to a certain school, we're saying that is a... a um, that is a suspect classification based on race. We're going to apply strict scrutiny, least least restrictive means for a very compelling reason. But if it's something like non-marital children or things like gender actually fall under intermediate, intermediate scrutiny, um, and I think that's going to change pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Because a lot of these cases came up in the past when people would challenge the draft uh, because it would it would – discriminate based on gender. And at that time, the courts felt that the government had a really, really compelling reason for excluding women from the draft because at that time, women couldn't serve in combat arms. Well, now women can serve in combat arms. Um, So I think that because of things like that, because of more equality in terms of opportunity between the sexes, I think that gender is going to eventually be a suspect class subject to strict scrutiny like race or things like that now 
if we're making a class, different well, rules did, for different classes you, of people. Like, didn't we also kind of get that in the, uh, I want to say the 18th Amendment? Didn't we get kind of uh, gender? And I'm sorry to derail again, but um, it seems to me like uh, gender is already kind of under strict scrutiny. Oh, no, absolutely not. It's, it's intermediate scrutiny. And what that means is that there ha is that the law has to be substantially related to an important government interest. Hmm. That's, that's a little bit different than least restrictive, compelling. Um, but th this, is, this has been the law um, you know, since 1996, I think was the last big case. Um, and gender cases actually need, need something a little bit more. They need exceedingly persuasive justification. But the exceedingly persuasive justification was, well, women can't serve in combat arms because of reasons. And we don't have those reasons anymore because they weren't really legitimate. Um, so I, I really think that that's going to be subject to strict scrutiny. But if we start classifying other people based on other things, so we say um, all poor people can only live in this area, which is probably unconstitutional for other reasons. Um, or we say all redheads, all redheads, right? Um, well, but that would still to, that would still be that like I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> wouldn't be gender, race, ethnicity, national origin. Well, maybe national origin. Um, so let's let me think. So disability. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So people over five feet tall versus people under five feet tall. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Or unfortunately, certain people with certain disabilities. Um, they're protected under the ADA, not the 14th Amendment. They're different things that all kind of accomplish the same thing. But if if the classification of people isn't based on you know gender, race, national origin, like all of these things that make you make us go, wait, is this really necessary? We look at it and say, well, is it rationally related to why the government wants to do it? Is that reason legitimate? Okay. So when you were talking earlier about the different standard for a judicial impeachment versus a presidential impeachment. Well, it's not really an equal protection issue, even though they're being treated unequally, because all that's required is that there has to be a there is that the reason the Senate is treating the judges differently than the presidents is rationally related to a legitimate government interest, even though the court wouldn't actually get to the merits because of the political question thing. So, um, like you said, people over five foot tall, people under five foot tall probably doesn't matter a lot for most jobs. But like, let's say you're. You know, an astronaut, and you have to be really short because to make really short. I, I don't know what job do you need to be short for? <laughs> Jockey? Jockey. Jockey. Say, yes, uh, yes, yes. Let's go. With yeah. That. So let's say the state owns a horse track, and the state employs all of these jockeys because in order to reach the Fourteenth Amendment, you need state action, uh, generally. So the state says we will only hire employees to be jockeys that are under five foot. Well, it just has to be rationally related to a legitimate government interest, and it could literally be as simple as. Well, we pay for the horses. People over five foot make the horses wear down faster. That's a legitimate interest. Having height restrictions rationally related to that, it passes. All right. So what you're saying is that um, as long as they can demonstrate a uh, rational basis of discretion. It's not even that they have to demonstrate it. The law is presumed valid. The person who's saying this law is discriminatory bears the burden of, of proving that it is. And the only thing it has to be 
is just not arbitrary or irrational because it can be any legitimate government interest just as long as it's, it's somehow rationally related to it. Hmm. So like, well, some things like sexual orientation have been struck down, disabilities have been struck down. Um, but in most other things, most other places, the law just has to have a rational basis to literally any legitimate government interest. So that's, that's why the judge and president thing wouldn't be an equal protection. Okay. So uh, since we're like on a total derail here, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> so let's take that uh, legitimate gut, uh, government interest and um, look at that in terms of the um, FISA court. Oh dear. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just threw you under the bus. But you're not a lawyer, so that doesn't matter. Um, what was the question? Um, so, uh, legitimate government interest as it relates to the FISA court. That is an entirely different standard, an entirely different um, question. So this is like the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause. Um, when the government classifies people, that's where we apply these different these different tests based on the classification. Um, with the FISA court, that's an implication of the Fourth Amendment, your right to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures. Um, and it's murky, and it's a nightmare, and it probably shouldn't exist. Um, I'm a kind of a Fourth Amendment hardliner, so I, I'm very wary of any more or less secret courts that can wiretap on people with very minimal showings. Yeah, I, I like... Personally, I totally agree with you. But but here the other thing is, like the other side of the coin is that they can't they're not supposed to spy on Americans and when they capture any calls from Americans, um, they're supposed to blank out any of the American part unless it's like super duper necessary. Yeah, but that's um, all that's all regs, right? That's that's all that's all intending for somebody to do it. And I generally presume people are gonna do the right thing. But there's going to be times when people do the wrong thing, even though they think they're doing it for the right reasons. Or, even if, they, like, or even if they don't realize that they're doing it. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Like, like um, the state generally bears a burden of producing um, exculpatory evidence um, or evidence that it's going to use a trial against a defendant. Um, if a prosecutor inadvertently, because they just didn't know about something, do it well that's one that's one thing and that's still that's still bad um i forgot where i was going with this <laughs> yeah scratch that strike that from the record um fourth amendment fourth amendment oh oh yeah but like like well-meaning people just are bad at their jobs sometimes or well-meaning people do bad things meaning well like prosecutors will get in trouble for withholding evidence, exculpatory evidence. And prosecutors don't do that kind of thing because they think, I really got to get this guy, even though he's innocent. I'm really going to convict him. They do that kind of shit because they think, this guy's guilty and I have to do this to get the conviction. And it's still wrong. It doesn't make it any less inexcusable. Well, uh, that, um, that shows yeah. intent, though. Yeah. And again, it's, it, it's, it's people doing the wrong things for what they perceive to be the right reason. And and there's always that possibility. And that's why we have things like the Fourth Amendment to guard against that possibility. 
like we're protected from unreasonable searches and seizures because the fourth amendment says no you can't have those not because we trust that the police just aren't going to do it all right well that's so, uh, uh, that, yeah, that, like, i mean that's 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 a fair argument but i'm like it definitely happens oh yeah for sure i don't and again like i've i've never practiced um in federal court and practiced intelligence law i've never worked in that setting i know very 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 little about it um but what i do know terrifies me endlessly mm. especially seeing the way that the fisa court was misled in terms of the carter page investigation mostly because i was so fucking sick and tired of hearing all of my ridiculous white right-wing friends endlessly pound this only for them to be somewhat vindicated super frustrated <laughs> yeah my son my son <laughs> just came in to ask if he could have dessert and i said yes <laughs> I don't know if that came through on the podcast, but uh, that's what just happened. Um, oh man! So any anything else we got to cover about impeachment? I mean, so what's what's going to happen from here? And this is Friday the twenty fourth. I don't know exactly when this is going to go out. Well, no, um, this is this is live, so this is out as we're oh. doing it. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's great. No, I, I I knew that actually. I just forgot it. Um, so what is so, oh, going yeah. to happen in terms of impeachment? Like there okay. is, uh, there's some shit going on. Um, there's a lot so, of posturing and yeah, the house is wrapping up its argument today. Um, tomorrow the president's team will begin the defense. And again, it's, it's just going to be, it's going to be exactly what we said. There's no high crime or misdemeanor. There's no crime alleged. You need a crime to impeach a president because judicial and presidential proceedings are different. Even if everything they're saying is true, it's not an impeachable and removable offense. What he did wasn't improper. He had a good faith basis. That's that's the gist of it. Um, they're they're going to have 24 hours to present that over Saturday, Monday, and Tuesday because the Senate takes Sundays off. Mm -hmm. um, the House had 24 hours to present its opening argument, and they did that over Wednesday, Thursday, and today. Um, after that, the senators are going to have question are going to be able to question counsel themselves, and that is probably going to take, I believe, about sixteen hours. And then once once all the senators have their questions answered, then the the Senate is going to vote on whether they're going to hear witnesses or not. Okay, so let's um, uh, review real quick who is counsel for each side. So on the side of the house, you have, they're called house managers, but they're essentially prosecutors. Um, there's seven of them. You've got Adam Schiff, Jerry Nadler, uh, Rep. Sylvia, Rep. Crow. That's four. Uh, Representative Jeffries, that's five. Uh, two others. Um, Dennings. Okay. She was really good, actually. <laughs> Representative Dennings. You don't have and, to remember them all. <laughs> I was just looking for uh, like a category. Last one. So Schiff, yeah, I can't remember the last one. Schiff and and the rest of his uh, uh, scrotum squad. Yeah, and honestly, like I thought, I thought Andrew Schiff and uh, Representative Dennings did a really good job. Uh, Nadler and and Representative Jeffries, I think, could have done better. And Representative Crow is pretty, pretty blah, pretty boring. Um, and then on the other side, defending the president, you have. Uh, Pat Cipollone or Pat, whatever, however you say his name, he's counsel for the president. So 
He is counsel to the office of the president of the United States um, okay. so, and provides uh, legal advice in that official capacity to that official position. White House lawyer. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, and then a whole team of other White House lawyers. And then you have Jay Sekulow, which or Sekulow or names, um, who is the president or is the counsel to Donald J. Trump president. So you have the, the president's personal lawyer and his White House lawyer, and they have a bunch of sub lawyers underneath them. Um, and then you have a bunch of House representatives that are just kind of doing political messaging on the quote defense team, but they're not actually going to speak. Right. All right. So, and Rudy is completely out of this. Correct. Yeah. So far. Well, no, again, I, like, I, after like, I, I think senators he, ask questions. Well, I mean, you know, I think that there was a question there whether or not he was, because they're going to question him as a witness. And so, so that's an interesting question. Like, can you be a witness and counsel? Generally, no. Um, so I think very, that's, very, very frowned upon, but generally no. Yeah. So um, I think that Rudy but, is out. I don't think he's going to, I mean, it's too late. They're not going to add any lawyers, but, um, what, what I meant by he's not in, involved yet is that they may call him as a witness, um, which would ultimately be useless, I think, because everything he says, he would just invoke attorney client privilege and doubt the senators are really that. Well, but that's the interesting point is because uh, like allegedly he is the guy that went over to the Ukraine and negotiated these deals, right? So, yes. Now, um, the AEBA model rules of professional ethics, which most states have adopted, um, so that you cannot reveal any information regarding the representation of a client without the client's permission. So... If, if, if I was called to testify about a client, I would not say anything. Assuming I was a lawyer, which I'm not right now, not legal advice. So, I mean, they're going to call him and they're not going to get anything. Right. Cause he's not going to say a fucking thing. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, this whole thing is just a nightmare. I'm ready for it to be over with. Cause I am so sick and tired of hearing about <laughs> milk on the Senate floor. What is that, a Slurpee you have? Oh, yeah, that was. No, but, oh, my God. You know how many articles and and everything that I've read about the beverage choice of senators? It's it's maddening. It's insane. There's got to be more important things going on in the world than this. There always, always are, except for in an election year. Yeah. Um... So I think that, that that pretty much covers impeachment. That was that was a lot. Can't that, think of that wasn't. <laughs> yeah, and like, there's so more we can talk about too. But now um, I don't think anyone wants to debate for the proof. Um, plus, I gotta go pick up my wife. <laughs> right. Well, thank you. She got a she got a massive leg piece done, so she's pretty stoked. You too. What? 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 Oh, she's, she's getting a massive piece on a massive koi fish on her thigh. Looks super dope. Oh, cool. Let me go pick her up from the shop. It was a good time, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Uh, appreciate it. This Absolutely, man. Ben.
fun. I'm glad that we finally got around to something we've been talking about for like a month and a half. <laughs> yeah, for only a couple months. Uh, all right, man. You have a good night. Thanks for having me on the show. You too. Thank you very much. We will uh, see you all next time. All right. Welcome back. So um, we recorded our impeachment podcast on Friday, right? Right as the impeachment managers had closed their case, or had uh, finished wrapping up their opening arguments of their case, rather, and the president uh, began put on his defense on Saturday. Um, that's done and over with. It's Tuesday. Um, we're getting a lot of floor spo- speeches from senators that don't mean anything. Um, and then tomorrow, the, the Senate's going to acquit President Trump. That's a foregone conclusion, as it was in the beginning of this, uh, this fiasco. Now, I want to talk a little bit about what's happened. Some, some kind of major developments have happened since we did our podcast on Friday. Um, the first is this, this thing about witnesses. And more importantly, I want to talk about what uh, Senator Murkowski, her position, what I believe it is. I don't want to speak for her. I don't know her. But what's, what's pretty evident to me reading the public record Um well, let's back up a little bit. So in, impeachment itself, there's there's two sections, right? As we know, there's the impeachment in the House and the conviction, the trial and conviction or acquittal in the Senate. Each act is different. Each act has independent significance. President Trump will forever be impeached. He was impeached. He's not, not impeached anymore. He can be acquitted tomorrow. He's still an impeached president. That is... And that is an act of independent significance undertaken by the House, and it is not something that should be taken lightly. The feeling that the Senate has gotten, and in no small part due to the president's lawyers, is that this was a very rushed impeachment. And there's a lot of evidence to support that, right? We talked about this in the first podcast about the witnesses that weren't subpoenaed, about the withdrawals of subpoenas for other key witnesses, about how they didn't even litigate these issues of privilege and were just trying to leave it up to the Senate. Well, what happens there is you start to lower the bar. You say, okay, we'll just impeach over here in the House, and then the Senate will do the rest of the work. And it sets the bar for impeachment too low, far too low. Remember, each act has independent significance. It should not be a small order to impeach a president. No, pardon me. Allergies. Yet, in this case, that's almost exactly what the House did, even though they had what it should be impeachable and removable conduct, if proven. They just failed to prove their case. And it's not that they didn't fail to prove their case because there wasn't sufficient evidence. It's they failed to prove their case because they didn't go and get it. And what the Senate now wants to do is is push back on that more so than they want to push back on the short-term damage president trump can do to our country while he's president they want to push back on widening the scope of impeachment power to give the house just hey we have 51 percent of the vote we have 51 percent majority boom boom he's impeached hey senate do your job that's what they wanted to avoid that's what they need to avoid because that's dangerous for the country. And I'm not saying that's what happened here, because again, we have allegations of very serious conduct. 
But the allegations of very serious conduct need to be treated very seriously. And that means going out and fighting in court to get the witnesses you need. And the, unfortunately, the House didn't do that here. Unfortunately, they didn't. They don't really have a good reason for why. They say, oh, well, it would have taken too long. Well, one, litigation takes time. We all know that. Um, but in something like this, I mean, there's there's precedent for the court to to speed track these things through. I mean, the, the Supreme Court sped the appeals in the Nixon executive privilege cases and then the Clinton executive privilege cases because shit happens. You know, it's not, it's not that difficult to get an expedited briefing schedule. Um, it takes a little longer and they wouldn't have been able to do it by Christmas, but it's what they should have done. And because they didn't, now, now the Senate is saying, if we go forward with this, we're going to lower the bar. And to me, it's, it's the same thing as saying, all right, we have a murderer. We have his confession. We have the murder weapon. We have all of this evidence. However, the confession was taken um, coercively in violation of his rights. The evidence was obtained in violation of his rights. So we have to exclude all that. And yeah, in that case, it sucks because you're letting a murderer walk free. But the interest in putting that one person in jail is not worth the risk to the system in lowering our standards and allowing illegal evidence or an illegally obtained confession in. The rights matter. And that's the position the Senate seems to be taking on this impeachment thing, is that these are acts of independent significance that should not be undertaken lightly. They should not be undertaken with, without the necessary evidence. You shouldn't have to go and say, well, we really, really need this to prove our case. Your case should be proven. Like, oh, allergies. Look, like when you go to trial, you have everything you need to prove your case. And yes, at every single trial, every trial, something new comes up. An unexpected witness, an unexpected answer an unexpected testimony, it happens. But that's not the same thing as saying that you don't have all your ducks in a row. You shouldn't be relying on anything at trial to prove your case. Because everything, all the evidence you have, you should already have. And the House failed to do that. And then they asked the Senate to go finish their job for them. And, and that sets too dangerous a precedent. And we all should be angry about this. We all should be angry at the House and the Senate and the President's defense team, the President and Congress, um, because we, the American people, are the only ones who lose because of this. The House managers, they all did a great job. Honestly, it was, it was fairly good at oral advocacy. I, I watched almost the entire trial. The House managers did a great job presenting their case. If you take, if you can look past all the holes and the gaps, they did a great job, so they're going to get reelected. And then they're going to move on to an open Senate seat. Or they're going to move on to prestigious boards of companies or to, to partnerships and law firms. They're going to be fine. The president's defense team did a great job, too. And I know, I know people don't want to hear that because they look at the way that like Adam Schiff and the House managers presented their case. And you look at the way that the defense acted, and you're like, these aren't the same. Well, no, they're not the same. One's a defense attorney, one's a prosecutor, basically. And the way that they approach a case is fundamentally different. See, I don't, if I'm a defense attorney, I don't care 
to, I don't need to refute your allegations. I can say, if everything you say is true, it's still not enough. Or if everything you say is true, where's all this evidence that they didn't get? If they don't have this evidence, it must not exist. You know, I, I can poke holes. And that's what the defense did. That was their job. They just poked holes, poked holes, poked holes. They talked about lowering the standard. And just poked holes, poked holes, poked holes. In all of the areas that were missing, that were within the house's control to go get. So they did a great job as defense attorneys. And they're going to move on to lucrative White House counsel positions, to federal judgeships, to political offices of their own, to high-powered partnerships at law firms. So all of, that, all of them are going to be great. The Senate, you had senators on the left, senators on the right that came through with some zingers to both sides. And they're going to look great to their constituents. Oh, I hammered the President Trump. Oh, I pushed back against that sham impeachment. And they're going to get reelected or they're going to get pushed to great positions within the next administration. <sighs> President Trump's going to be fine. Because after this, his numbers will probably rebound and he very well may likely be the first impeached president to ever get reelected. <sighs> so who loses in this? And it's, it's us. It's the people that have to deal with a bureaucrat in office who will absolutely put his own self-interest above that of the nation, above that of our national security interests. And Congress cannot or will not hold him accountable. From an educational standpoint, an academic standpoint, um, this has all been a fascinating, fascinating time. Um, I, I'm particularly doubly frustrated with the House not taking these issues to court because there's only like three or four executive privilege cases. It's a very, very gray area that nobody really knows for sure. We don't get a lot of opportunity for the court to weigh in on it. That here would have been a great way because, oh, does executive privilege apply against wrongdoing or uh, when the president's accused of wrongdoing? Well, probably not. We have the Nixon case. Does executive privilege apply at all in an impeachment inquiry? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a different question. Um, what are the limits of executive privilege and impeachment inquiries? Are they different? It's, it's, there's questions that aren't answered and they're never going to be answered because the house didn't go get them. So we all lose except for the people getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to deal with this partisan impeachment business. I don't know where we go from here, but I'm not optimistic.